This morning, as Dave said, we're starting um, a new series um, which will run for four weeks. It's called Basics. And we're just talking about some real basic stuff, um, different things. What is the Bible? Um, I don't even know what other ones are. But this morning, um, the, the topic is what is salvation? And so that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, I'm real excited about it, actually. Um, when I got this message, I was like, oh my gosh, it's like the hardest message ever. But um, no, it's not. It's going to be awesome. And so we're going to start, and I want to read um, to you guys. If you've been to church before, um, if you come to church a lot, you'll know this verse very well. And um, this is a verse that, when we talk about salvation, um, is very famous. Probably the most, one of the most famous Bible verses in the world. Um, and it's from John 3.16, and this is what it said. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that anyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son to the world, not to judge it, but to save it through him. Has anyone ever heard that verse before? Yeah. A few people may have. Um, and so that's what we're talking about this morning. Um, we're talking about salvation. I um, mean, we're going to talk a little bit more about that verse, a few other things. Um, we're also going to talk about what salvation salvation isn't, um, which is also important to note. Um, we're going to talk about how do we get it, why do we need it, what is it. Um, but I don't know if you've ever thought a lot about salvation or um, you've tried to talk about it before, but salvation can be quite a confusing thing. Um, I remember when I was... I don't know, a teenager, maybe year nine or ten, and I'd go to youth group, and kind of at the end of every message, someone would do a salvation article, something where, like, do you want to get salvation? And every week, I would put my hand up because I was kind of confused whether this was different to another one, whether I'd done it before, whether I should put my hand up. And so, like, constantly every week, I was doing it because I was a little bit confused about what it was, what it meant. Um, like, do I need to do that? Have I done that before? And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do it just in case, just to, like, double, double check. Um, and so, like, I, I don't know if you've ever... Um, Heard some, and, and it's kind of the same in our church today. I don't know if you ever, sometimes we do like a once a year thing where Craig gets up and talks about some different statistics. Um, and have you ever seen the amount of like salvations we have in like Switch or something? Because it's like every time we ever do one, every kid's like, I don't know if that, I don't know, is that me? And puts their hand up. And so it's like, when you preach a Switch and you do that, it's like 100%. You're like, yes, like that's awesome. Um, just because we're like, what does that mean? Do I have to do it? Um, and I think sometimes it can be a little bit like that, a little bit confusing. What exactly is it? And so that's what we're going to talk about. Um, I'm going to pray and then we'll get into it. Sweet God, I thank you we can come this morning and talk about, yeah, a basic series, God, about salvation and what it is, God. And I thank you, God, that, um, you know, no matter if we've heard this a thousand times, God, never heard it before, God, that this morning you can still speak to us, God, that you're going to speak to us about what salvation is, God, and that we thank you, God, that salvation is really all about Jesus and it's all about your love for us, God, and that this morning we wouldn't just hear a message about salvation, God, but we would encounter that love you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. So this morning I called my message, and it's a little bit like tongue-in-cheek, I'm kind of joking, but it's called, You Prayed the Prayer the, the prayer Wrong. Um, I don't know if you've, um, everyone's like, can you just turn to your neighbor and tell them they prayed the prayer wrong? too quiet here this morning. My message is called You Prayed the Prayer Wrong, and I'm kind of joking, but I want to start this morning by talking about some things that salvation isn't, and I'm kind of joking, um, but at the same time, it's serious, because salvation, um, of course, if you've um, been in church a lot, you know that we often associate salvation with a prayer, right? At the end of a service, we might do a prayer and say, does anyone want to receive salvation? Um, but salvation isn't just a prayer. That is not what salvation is, and so this morning, while salvation is definitely tied to a prayer. It's not to the prayer. So I want to talk about four things that salvation is in. And it's not, there's nothing to do with them. It's just, it is not just that. And so the first thing is salvation is not just a prayer. Salvation isn't just about 
coming to church one Sunday, shaking your hand up, saying a prayer. Salvation isn't all tied up in that prayer that you repeat back at the end of a service. Okay, so that's the first one. The second thing that it's not just, it's not just a performance, something that if you do that, then you have to act really good. Like, oh my gosh, I'm a Christian now. It's all about me being looking good, acting cool, looking really good at church, dressing nice, doing good things because that's what it's about. Okay, that's the second one. The third one is fire insurance. Um, it's not about just once in your life praying a prayer to like tick off a list saying, okay, good, I'm going to heaven now. That's cool. That is not what salvation is all about. The fourth one is salvation isn't a contract. If you put your hand up in church, then you have to sign up to um, serve in church, give in church, do all this stuff. Salvation isn't a contract. And it's not because it's nothing to do with any of the things, but it's because it is so much more than any of these things. Um, salvation, we, if we reduce it just to prayer, if we reduce it just to how we act, then we're missing almost all of what salvation is actually about. And so I want to talk to you this morning about salvation, what it is, from a story in the Bible, um, which you may or may not have heard. And I love stories, so I love hearing stories, telling stories, um, everything about stories. I think they're great. Um, and so I want to look at it through the lens of a story in the Bible, um, which I guess is famously about God's love. But I want to look at um, three things about what salvation is from this story this morning. And the story is called The Lost Son or The Prodigal Son. Um, you may have heard it. I'm just going to retell it this morning. Um, and so this, the story, um, I love calling it The Lost Son, is a story about a father who has two boys. Um, there's an older boy and a younger boy, and they live, um, Jesus tells the story in the Bible. So they're living in the ancient Near East. Um, and there is, so there's two sons. The oldest son, um, he's a pretty good boy in the story. Um, he's a good son. The younger son is a little bit of a rebel. And what happens in the story is the younger son comes to his dad uh, one day in the story, and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance. I want what's owed to me. I, I'm moving out of home. Like I'm, I'm leaving. I'm getting out of here. I'm going. And probably um, some parents in here you might be like, that sounds amazing. Like my kid's moving out of home. Um, that's like the, the ideal story. But in the ancient Near East, that wasn't generally what happened. Um, families would live together. They'd stay together. Leaving was kind of like a massive rejection. It was like, I don't want to live with you. I don't want to be associated with you. I'm going to start my own thing. So I don't know if any parents, if any parents are here, like, I don't mind, wouldn't mind if a few of my kids moved out of home, left, stopped eating my food, raided my pantry, a couple of people. But back then, that was not how it was at all. So this son immediately was in an honor shame culture, doing something very shameful to his father. He was saying, I want to leave. I want my inheritance. And generally, your inheritance is owed when you're dead. It's not when you're alive. The son was basically like, Dad, I don't care about you. Don't care if you die. I want my inheritance. I'm leaving. And so the son crazily enough, um, gets given by his father half of what the father has. He gives him his share of an inheritance, and the son leaves. Um, and the story goes on. He moves to a, a distant city um, and pretty much parties it up, lives it up in the city. He buys what he wants. He buys friends. He buys stuff that attracts people. He just has an awesome time. Um, but there comes a time where there is a famine in the land, and the boy has completely run out of cash. Um, this basically happens to me at the end of every weekend. Um, just ate way too much good food in the weekend. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, we can't afford to, afford to go to the supermarket. So we just eat like noodles or something past every week. Um, but this was a little bit worse than that, okay? Um, this was a little bit worse. I can still go back to my parents' house and be like, mom and dad, we're coming for dinner this week. Uh, me and Dave just thought we'd come see you guys um, really when we were a little bit poor. But this son, he'd, just done, he'd cut off his father, he'd left his family, he'd moved to the city, and he'd wasted all his money and a famine has. So he was in a really, really bad place. And um, he went looking for a job um, and found a job working for a pig farmer, um, which is pretty much, um, uh, I, I told the story 
a youth a few weeks ago and I, I joked how it's pretty much like the only thing worse than that is working at McDonald's. Um, just because a few kids from youth work at McDonald's and they're like, what the heck, Gina? Um, but it's pretty much the worst job. Um, in Jewish culture, pigs aren't clean. They didn't like pigs. So working with pigs was a very, very bad job. And so this boy got a job working with pigs. Um, but this, the Bible says that he was so hungry, he wished he could eat what the pigs were eating. And who knows, that's pretty much like a low of lows in your life. When you want to eat pig food, um, that is just... That's not good at all. So this boy was sitting in his job, looking at the pigs eating, being jealous of the pigs, and he thought, oh my gosh, my my father's house, even his servants, his slaves, they get treated better than I'm getting treated right now. They get food, they get fed. What if, what if I went home and I said to my dad, um, dad, like, I know I messed this all up, I'm sorry I wronged you. Um, but would you take me in as a slave? I'll just work for you as a slave because that's better than what I've got right now. So the boy says, that's a good plan. He practices his speech. He probably writes it out. He gets it prepared, and he starts on the journey home. And the crazy crazy thing in the story, and I love this story so much, one of my favorite stories, is a father from a long way off sees his son walking home. And the father, um, he runs to the son, which, again, is a crazy thing in the story because running um, – is a thing that in the ancient Near East that was like reserved for servants and stuff, like landlord people who own people who are wealthy, people who are well off, they didn't run, you know, like they didn't need to run. They could make someone else run for them. Um, and so running, first of all, was a crazy thing. But he ran to his son and met his son. And as he does, the son starts into his prepared awesome speech. And he's like, Dad, um, I know I messed up. I did everything wrong. But I'd just like to come back as a slave and work for you as a slave. And the father like mid-sentence, mid-speech, stops him and he like embraces him and he tells the servants who are with him to go and get a robe, get a ring, get sandals and tells them we're going to have a party, we're going to prepare, sorry, we're going to prepare a party because my son is home. And so the son comes home so sure that he's ruined everything, he's messed it all up, he's He's done like the worst possible thing he could do to his father. But as he gets home, his father runs to him, embraces him, and is like crazy excited to see him. He treats him as if like a royal person has come to his house. He gets like the best robes, he gets rings, he gets sandals. And he throws him a party where they kill like their fattened cows. And they just have this crazy, crazy party. And the son comes home like so not expecting it. But the father just like drenches him and love, and even the other son is a little bit like, Dad, what the heck, like, why would you do that? Like, I didn't get a party, like, why does that, like, naughty, stupid brother of mine get this party? But I love this story, because this is a story that Jesus tells, um, showing the father in the story is about God, and the son in the story, the rebellious son, is, is about us. And um, firstly, this morning, the reason why we need salvation is because, like in this story, um, God is a father who's perfect. He um he's a perfect father who loves us unconditionally, but like the son, we've all messed up, right? We've done stupid stuff, made bad decisions, the Bible calls it sin, done things that separate us from God, just like the boy in the story, his bad decisions, his own selfishness separated him from his father. Um and just like this, God's a loving father who so loves us, but because of the stuff that separates us, we need Salvation exists to bring us back to God. And so I want to talk from the story, three things that salvation is this morning. And the first thing that I believe salvation is, is it is scandalous. And the story in the Bible that Jesus tells about his son, about the father and the son, he tells it um, to his disciples. That 
kind of like when you read it today, that's like a really sweet, beautiful story, right? I read that, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so nice. He's such a good dad. That's such a sweet story. That's kind of the perspective we come from. So they were like, wow, that's so beautiful. Fire out. But in the time when Jesus read the story, this story was scandalous. It was ridiculous. It was offensive. People listening to that story was like, how could that son do that? How, why would that father do that? The story was incredibly scandalous. Like it wasn't like, uh, the reaction of the people listening wasn't like a, oh, that's so lovely. It was like a what the heck. That, it was a story like designed to make them angry. Like what, why would that happen? And so, like I said before, the son in that story did so many things against their culture. He took an inheritance which didn't belong to him. His inheritance really belonged to his older brother, the oldest in the family. His father was still alive, so he should never have gotten an inheritance. That was the first scandal. He left his family, which was scandalous. That was incredibly rude, incredibly, like, cut-off thing to do. He um, introduced shame to his family by doing that. Um, he spent all his money. He wasted his money. Um, and the crazy thing is, the even more scandalous thing than the son doing that is that when the son came home, the father didn't reject him, but the father accepted him. And in that culture, it was like, that is ridiculous. Why would that father do that? That is not even right. That son doesn't deserve that. That son shouldn't have that. And maybe in today's culture, like, you know, we're a little more, like, graceful and stuff like that. We're like, oh, well, you know what I mean? But in, in the story, the people listening were like, what the heck? That, that is a story that is ridiculous. That's scandalous. That is a shocking story. How could the son do that to his family? And how could the father do that to his son? And there's another story in the Bible I want to tell you that's equally as scandalous, where God talks about our salvation. And um, there's a man in the Bible called Hosea, um, and he's in the book of Hosea. And he is a prophet of God, and God's called him. Um, and he's like a priest, a prophet. He is an awesome guy. Um, but a few chapters into the story, and you can read it in the book of Hosea, God comes to Hosea and says, I want you to get married. Um, and not to anyone. I want you to go and find a prostitute and marry her. And Hosea's like, I am a godly man. Like, I am a priest god. I can't, I can't do that. What the heck? But Hosea um, obeys God, and he goes and marries this prostitute. And he, this, the story's in Hosea. And what happens is, as it goes on, they have three children together. And all their children have terrible names. Um, terrible, horrible names. You <laughs> read in the story. It's crazy. Um, and Hosea loves his wife. Um, her name's Goma. He loves her. But one day she comes to him and she, 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 says, she says she's leaving. Um, and so she says, Jose, I've had enough. I'm going. Um, I've fallen in love with someone else. I'm leaving you. And she leaves. Um, and Jose is like, God, what the heck? Like, what did you, why did you even do that to me? Like, that is, why did you tell me to marry her? And God comes to Jose and he says that this isn't just a story about him, but this is a story about God loving us and us rejecting God. Um, and the story goes on and God says, to Hosea, you need to go back and find Gomer, his wife, and buy her back. And so Hosea, crazily enough, goes um, into the city and he finds his wife. And she, at that point, um, is with someone else. And he goes to the man and says that he will buy her back off him. It's his own wife. His own wife, he goes and he buys back. The Bible says it's for like a large amount of silver. It's the price of buying a, another person, a slave. He goes and buys his own wife back and tells her, you're living with me now, I've brought you back. And it's like the craziest story. This poor guy, Hosea, who God uses his life to show us how, how he is to us, that he is a God who is such a good father, such a good husband, but we're the, we're the, the, the wife or the son who ran away, who messed up, 
and he comes and buys us back. And that story in the Bible as well is like a shocking story. Like the people who read that story are like, what the heck? That's, it's not like a nice story. It's like a shocking story. And that's exactly what God's salvation story is like. Sometimes we can get accustomed to hearing Jesus died on the cross for us because he loves us. And it's just like really, oh, that's really nice. That's really sweet. But salvation, what Jesus did for us, is actually a scandalous, shocking thing. It's not just like, that's nice, but it is like a scandalous, crazy, intense thing. Um, because just like the son in the story, just like the wife, we messed up and God came chasing after us and we blew everything, we messed up, we don't deserve it, just like the son didn't deserve it, just like Gomer didn't deserve it from Hosea. And just like that, that is what salvation is like for us, right? We've messed up, we've done stupid things. And salvation, sometimes we can take it like, salvation is just praying a really nice prayer at the end of a message, like, God, thank you that you love me, thank you that no matter what I've done, you're there for me, you're always there for me. But salvation is actually scandalous. It's actually like, fire out God, when I messed up so bad that you should never have taken me back, when I did the worst possible things, when I was so far away from you, when I ran away, you came chasing after me, you came running towards me, you came and you brought me back. And it's not just like, that's really sweet, God. It's like, God, that's not even fair. God, you shouldn't, I don't even deserve that. God, that is, I never did anything to ever merit getting that. And that is what salvation is. It's scandalous. It doesn't make sense. It's not fair. But that's the best news ever, right? That salvation is scandalous. It's that God came and brought us back when we didn't deserve it, when we never, ever should have got it. And so when we talk about salvation, the first thing I want you to know this morning is it's not just really sweet. It's not like, oh, that's lovely. Salvation's great. Salvation is scandalous. It's God buying us back when we didn't deserve us. It's God chasing after us when we ran away. It's God coming after us when he never really should have, when people who read the story, just like the people Jesus read the story of the son to, were like, what the heck? That makes me angry. That doesn't make sense. And when people, like when we look at the story of our lives, it's the same thing. It's like, man, God, that doesn't make sense. God, I didn't deserve to be brought back by you. God, you're perfect. God, you're the loving father. God, you're Hosea who was so patient and loved when he shouldn't have. God, that's you. And I'd never, ever deserved your salvation. And so the first thing I want you to understand this morning is we should never take salvation. We should never take what it is. The prayer at the end of the service is just like, oh, that's really cool. That's really nice. That's really amazing. But it is a scandalous thing where God comes and he buys us back where we don't deserve it. The second thing you need to know about salvation is that salvation is not about you. Can you turn to the person next to you and say, it's not about you? Has anyone ever said that to their kids? It's not all about you. Uh, my dad's got his hand up right at the back corner. I remember as a teenager, I'd be like having that big tantrum where I wanted to like do something ridiculous and I wasn't allowed and I'd just be like, you know, like teenagers slamming doors and whatever, you know, like, you know, parents know what that's like. I um, I got reminded what a little bit what it was like when I was in the office this week and um, Craig was in here with his kids and they were all chatting to me, talking, and then Craig's like, right, we're off. And they just run outside screaming, you had the front seat last time. So this massive meltdown about the front seat and I was like, oh my gosh, I remember that. Um, but it's that thing, right? Your parents, your parents, if you're a parent, you've probably said it to your kids. It's not all about you when you're having that big meltdown or like, you know, you come in and you're like, mum, what's for dinner? And she tells you and you're like, I hate spaghetti. And you just had that, that big meltdown. Like, it's the worst thing that ever happened to you. It's not all about you, Gina. It's not all about you. And this morning, I want to tell you that salvation is not all about you. In Ephesians 2, this is what it says. It says, God saved you 
by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done, so none of us can boast about it. Or in the NIV Bible, it says it like this. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And I tell you this morning, it's so important to understand that nothing we could ever do could like gain us, grant us, help ourselves get our own salvation. And the worst lie we can ever believe is that salvation is about us being good enough, acting good enough, pretending to be good enough, trying to be good enough for God because we never will be because salvation was never, ever, ever about us. And honestly, like, if there's one thing you take from this morning, you need to understand that salvation is nothing to do with, with, what, about what you have done, what you did wrong, what you did right, what you will do wrong, what you will do right. Salvation isn't based on you keeping up to a measure of God, being a good enough Christian, acting good enough, forgiving enough people. That is not anything to do with salvation. Just the same as the opposite. If we're not good enough, if we do stupid things, that is not salvation because salvation was never, ever about us. It was always about what Jesus did. And I don't know, can you imagine if the son in the story, the, the, father, the lost son, he came home um, and his father forgave the most ridiculous sins. He, he forgave the most shaming his family of, you know, we read the story of all these crazy things. His father forgave him, ran to him, threw him a party. But the son took on this thing, man, I just need to work really hard so I can stay here because, you know, I just need to be the best worker and, get this like attitude that it was about what he was doing, you know, like, oh, my father must have taken me back because I'm really good at lifting hay. That was probably why he took me back because I'm just going to be really good at lifting hay and if I mess up, oh my gosh, it's going to be bad. Like, if the son got that idea, it was, nothing, it was nothing to do with the son why the father took him back, right? It was nothing, anything on the son's mirror, nothing the son did right, nothing the son could do right. It was just the father's faithfulness that took the son back. And it's the same for us. If we get caught up in thinking that God loving us, salvation is all about what we do right or we do wrong, we're completely missing the point. And there's a story that illustrates this really well in the Bible, and I love it. It's a story about a man called Gideon, um, who about a chapter before the story happens, was just a really scared little boy who God came to. Uh, he, was, he was a teenager, but he was a really scared teenager. He was hiding. God came to him and said, Gideon, I need you to lead the army of Israel. There was no leaders, and so Gideon freaking out, said he would lead it. He had no military training. He had no experience. And God came to him and said, we need a battle and you need to be the leader. And so Gideon stood up and said, I'll lead the army. I'll fight. And so the story happens in Judges 7. And this is what it says. Now the Midianites, the Clemonites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed the Jordan. So there was three entire armies who would come against Israel when Gideon said, I will lead the army, God. And um. I don't know if you've heard this story before, but it's an amazing story. Um, and so Gideon says, gather everyone together. Everyone who's in the army, come. We're going to meet. Um, we need to get ready. We need to get ready for this battle. Um, but in the story, God says to him, where is it on my page? I don't know where it is. Okay, I'm just going to tell you the story because I can't find it. What happens in the story, um, and you can read it later in Judges 7, but God comes to Gideon, when he's got all the army assembled and says, Gideon, there are too many men here to fight in the battle. And I'm not sure if any of you guys have ever, like, maybe not been in a real war, but, like, played on an Xbox game or something, like, seen a movie. Generally, the more people you have in your army, the better it is for you, right? Is that generally 
Yeah, well known. The more people you have in your army, the more chances you have of winning. Um, there's not really such a thing as too many people in your army. That's not really a problem. And so God comes to Gideon and he says, Gideon, there's too many people in your army. This is not going to work. Um, you need to lose some of them. So the Bible says that 22, Gideon says to the people, if anyone, okay, we've got 20 people. If you want to go home, you just go. And so 22,000 people from the army left and went home. Okay, sweet. Um, and anyway, the story goes on, and Gideon's like, okay, God, 22,000 people just left. I think we have a problem. Oh, my gosh. Um, we're, we're versing three armies, and we just had 22,000 people go home because they were scared. And God says to him, no, it's fine, Gideon. That's not a problem. And God, God tells him again, a little bit later in the chapter, I think it's like verse 18, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. And what happens is, God, they go to, they got into like a lake and God says to Gideon, we, we still need more people to leave. This is way too many people in the army. Um, so it's a, it's a crazy story in the thing, but God says, if some people drink this, like if they lap up the water, if they hold it in their hands, um, separate them like that. So he kind of like, however people drank, he put them on each side. And God said, people who like lapped up the water, you need to go home and left 300 men in the army with Gideon. So I can't imagine how many people to start with, but 22,000 had already left before that second split. So there were 300 people left after there was like 25, who knows, 28,000 people down to 300 people, right? God's like, yeah, that's, that's a great size, Gideon. That's a really good size for the army. And Gideon's like, what the heck? We're versing three other armies. He's freaking out. That's, that's scary, right? Like, that'd be, I don't even know. That's freaky. Um, and so anyway, what happens is God says, um, Gideon, um, don't even worry about swords. Um, that's not really necessary which also seems crazy at war. Um, he says, all you need is a trumpet and a glass jar. Just give one of those to every single person, all 300 of your army, um, good to go. And so Gideon, he's crazy. That's why I love Gideon. He did this. Um, most other people would have been like, no, 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 no. Everyone's staying to fight together. Like, a minute, right? Most of us would have been like, oh, no, God, I think you're a little confused. The more, the better. Like, we're telling God how to do it. God's like, Gideon just listens to what God says. And so anyway, all these people go home. There's 300 of them who are holding a glass jar and they have like a trumpet thing. And God says, um, when it's night, what I want you to do is run down, the, run down the hill towards the camp, smash your jars and blow your trumpets. And I don't know if that sounds pretty much like a death trap to anyone else, right? Just like run towards an army, making a lot of noise with no weapons. It's crazy. But what happens in the story is that as they do that, God causes the sound of their smashing of jars and their trumpets to sound like a thousand armies. The, the three armies at the bottom, they get so freaked out, they end up killing each other, running off, um, and there is no one left in the entire camp of all these armies. God uses 300 people to, like, to fight an entire army. And the point of the story was never that about there being too many people. It was never the point that 22,000 people was, that was too many, it would just get awkward. It was never about that. And the story at the start, the verse I was trying to look for before, this is what, this is this. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast about themselves. My own strength has saved me. And the reason God took the army from 25 or however many thousand it was down to 300 people was because God was like, you know what, this isn't about your army. You're not winning because of how good you are at fighting. You're not winning because you've got real good sword skills. You're not winning because you're great. You're winning because I'm your God and I'm going to win 
for you. And so God strips the army down to 300 people with glass jars and they win and all of Israel goes back and they're like, God, you're so great. You won the battle for us. And it's exactly the same about our salvation. God's like, it is not about how good you are. It is not about how good you can be. It's not about how good a Christian you can be. It's not about how nice you can be. It's not about how great you can be. It's not about how great you can look. It's not about how many people you can forgive. It's not about how many people you can door knock and tell them God loves them. It's not about how many people you can hand pens to at high school. It is not about that. It is actually about me and what I did. And because the reason we need saving is because, like the son, we messed up. We ran away. And can I tell you that the son running away, he can never fix it by himself. And it's the same for us. Us acting good, trying to keep up, trying to be great, trying to do all these things is never, ever going to save us because the only thing that could ever save us was Jesus coming to save us, coming to buy us back with his own life, dying on the cross for us and buying us back. And if we ever make it about ourselves, I feel like that must frustrate God so much. We're like, man, God, I just want to be better at this. God, I'm trying so hard. God, look what I'm doing. Man, God, do you see me do that? And it's not, you can't do good stuff, but God's like, far out. It was never about you. It's not about you trying to do stuff. It's about you sitting there and being like, God, I thank you that you saved me when I was at my worst. God, I thank you that you saved me when I ran away. God, I thank you that when I was the biggest mess ever, you came after me because you loved me and you chased me. And so I, one more time, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you being nice. It's not about You've been good. I want to read you one more time from Ephesians 2. It says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it is not by yourself. It is the gift of God. I'm going to tell you, salvation is not about you. It is all about Jesus. Can you turn to the person next to you and say, it's all about Jesus? Salvation isn't about you. It's all about Jesus. And the crazy thing is, so, yeah, salvation is never about what we've done. It's about what Jesus did on the cross for us. And can I tell you, if you don't know that this morning, Jesus came and died on the cross for us, just like Hosea brought back his wife to pay the price of what we've done wrong. Not be- That's good, eh? Yeah, that's worth, that's worth a clap. Yeah, so good. But Jesus came and did that because of his love for us, like in the story where the father loved his son like crazy. And you need to know this morning, nothing you do, right or wrong, can ever mess that up. If you... I don't even know. You know what I mean? And I I love that thought. It's like nothing we do, nothing we do could ever make it better. Nothing we do could ever lose us that. It's about what Jesus did. And that's such like a thing you can rest in. It's like, man, it's not about me. It's not about me trying real hard. It's not about me being perfect, which is like, that's great, right? Who thinks it's great? You don't have to be perfect. Amen. So good. Um, But that is not what it's about. So the first thing we talked about this morning is that salvation is scandalous. The second thing is that it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And the third thing is that salvation is believing and moving. And in John 3.16, we read at the start, it says this, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And salvation, we've already talked about, is a scandalous thing where God loved us so much he wanted to come and buy us back. It's scandalous because we mess up so bad it doesn't even make sense. It's not fair, but he... He loved us enough to do it anyway. That's why it's scandalous. It's not about what we've done. It's, it was never about what we've done, but it's about believing in Jesus and what he did. And how do we get it? 
simply by believing. That's what John 3.16 says. It's by believing that Jesus was the good father in the story who wanted to chase us, who wouldn't just let us go by ourselves. He was Hosea in the story of Hosea and Goma who said, I want to buy them back even though they don't deserve it, even though they don't deserve it. And that's what salvation is. It's by believing that, by saying, God, Farah, I never deserved this. God, Farah, I was the son who ran away. God, I never should have done it, but I believe that you're the father who came after me, that you chased me. And salvation is about believing, but I also think that salvation is about moving. And what do I mean by that? Um, the Bible we just talked about, it says salvation isn't about by anything you do. Um, it's just by simply believing. But I don't think it's possible to believe that that's true, to believe that fire out God's the God who chased us, he brought us back, he died on the cross for us to pay for our sins because he loved us. I don't think it's possible to, possible to believe that and still live our lives in the same way. Um, I'm convinced that really believing, really understanding that, really saying, man, God, that's what you did for me, results in us moving, us, our lives being different because of it, not just saying, God, I believe in you and nothing kind of changes. I don't think that happens because I'm convinced that the son in the story, the father, the, the father and the son, that when he got home, and we talked about before, it wasn't about how good he could carry weight, but I am so convinced that when that son got home and when he realized how much his father loved him, that he worked harder than he'd ever worked in his life, that he was different, he talked different, he worked different, he ate different, he did everything differently because he had this revelation of how much his father loved him, that it wasn't about what he'd done, it wasn't even about how bad he'd messed up, but that despite all of that, his father loved him. And I'm convinced, not because he had to, but that son was different. He, he worked harder than anyone else in the entire farm. He talked differently about his father than anyone else in the entire farm. He was a different kid from that day. I'm convinced of that. And it doesn't say that in the Bible, but I'm so sure that when that son had that revelation of what his father was like, when his father ran to him in the fields, he was like, fire out, what the heck? And everything changed for him. And I think it's the same for us, that when we understand, when we hear that, man, the scandalous story of how God brought us back, how he paid for us, what he did for us, that we can't just hear that and be like, oh yeah, God, I believe that and be exactly the same. I believe that if we understand that, if we if we know that, then our lives are actually different. We're different people. We act differently. We talk differently. We live differently. We do things differently. We work differently at work. Everything about us changes because we understand that the scandalous story of God buying us back, of what Jesus did for us and how much it meant, how little we deserved and how much it was about his love and not about us. And um, if you're in the band, you can just come up this morning. But I believe that I don't know. Salvation is such a hard thing to put, to put into one message. It really is. Um, salvation is such an overarching story, right? It's a story of God's redemption through the entire Bible. It's God coming to save us. It's Jesus dying on a cross. Like, how do you talk about that all in 35 minutes? But the few things we talked about this morning, um, that it's scandalous, that it's not about us, what we've done, but it's about what God's done, and that it's about just about believing, just simply believing, but that that believing should change our lives. Um, and I, I don't know, I so get so caught on that idea that, man, I, I know that the son, I know that probably Hosea's wife, Goma, she was different after he went and brought her back. She was like, what the heck, you paid a price for me that I didn't deserve, that I wasn't actually worth. And I believe it's the same for us, that if we actually know, um, if we actually understand how scandalous of a love story the Bible is, how scandalous it is that Jesus came and died for us because he loved us, then that would change 
who we are. It would change how we live because we'd be like, God, I'm caught in the most scandalous love story of all time. It's beautiful. I don't deserve it. I never deserved it, but I thank you for it. And, yeah, this morning um, I don't have six points on how to get salvation because we already talked about it. Salvation is really easy. It's not about us. It's not about what we can do. It's not about how hard we try. But salvation is just about us saying, God, I believe, and letting ourselves soak in that story of the love story God did for us, being like, God, Farah, I believe that that's what you did for me. I believe that even when I messed up, even when I did things wrong, even when I sinned, God, that you came and you brought me back for a price. And that's what it's all about. That's the easy part of it. It's just saying, God, I believe in that. God, I thank you for that. God, I don't deserve it. God, I don't know why you did it, but you did. And I think once you realize how amazing and how scandalous salvation really is and understand it's not about you, but it's what about Jesus did, um, yeah, I believe that that you can't help but be changed by that, right? You can't help but move from that. You can't help but be like, God, if that's what you did for me, God, I don't want to just laze around on the farm and do nothing. God, I want to take that for granted. But God, I, I thank you for that. God, I'm going to I'm going to be the best son you ever had. I'm sure that was what that son's reaction was. And so this morning, um, sorry, I was just thinking I was going to say something else, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Dad's laughing at me. Um, yeah, this morning, uh, that's kind of the message. Salvation um, is not difficult. It shouldn't be confusing. I hope I didn't confuse you. But salvation isn't just a cute little sweet story. It's a scandalous story of God coming to buy us back. It's a scandalous story of God doing what he shouldn't have, what we didn't really deserve, but he did it because he loved us anyway. It's the story where it's not really about anything we've done or what we could do. Just like in the story of Gideon. It wasn't about the army. It wasn't about how good they were. It's just about what God was doing for them. And it's just a, a, a story about us. All we have to do is say, God, I believe. God, I believe that. And that's what salvation is. Um, so this morning, um, before I end, I just want to invite you. Um, why doesn't everyone stand up and close your eyes? Um, I know that I call this message, you pray, you pray the prayer wrong. That's what I call this message. Um, and I started by saying it's not about a prayer. Um, but this morning, I want to invite you to join in a prayer with me if you'd like to. Because um, I know it's not just a prayer. I want you to know it's not just a prayer. Um, but when we believe and we declare something, that's a really powerful thing. And so this morning, I'm not asking you to do a prayer. I'm not asking you to sign a contract. All I'm asking you to do is, um, if you want, if you want to say, God, I believe in that. God, I believe that that's what you did for me, that you're the God who came and you brought me back, that you're the God who wrote the most scandalous story ever, more scandalous than... Keeping up with the Kardashians, more scandalous than anything else. A story that doesn't make sense, that's not fair, that's, but at the same time, incredibly beautiful. If you want to say, God, I believe that, and I want that, believing that to change who I am, not just leave me the same, but that knowing that would change me. Um, I want to pray with you. And so, well, everyone just closes your eyes. Um, I feel like Gina, I need to do that. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you're like, I didn't even know what that was. I didn't even know that was what God did for me. Or maybe you're like, Gina, I've been in church a hundred times, um, but I don't think I really realized how scandalous it was. I don't think I really realized that it wasn't actually about what I did. I don't think I really realized that it's just about believing and that that should move me. Um, if that's you this morning, I just want you to check your hand out with everyone else's eyes closed. And I just want to pray with you that this morning that would, yeah, be something that moves you. So awesome. 
There's one hand. Is there anyone else in this place? Awesome. Another hand in the back. Cool. And this isn't going to be some big thing. It's not about coming down the front and praying a prayer. It's really just about you saying, God, I believe. God, I thank you that you wrote the most scandalous love story ever for me. Awesome. Is there anyone else? Awesome. Sweet. We're going to pray. Yeah. God, I thank you for every single person in this place this morning, God. And I thank you, especially people who put their hand up there and saying, God, yeah, I thank you for your scandalous salvation, God. The thing that when I didn't deserve it, God, you came, you chased me, you brought me back, God. God, that it's not about what I've done, God. It's never about what I could do or what I couldn't do, how bad I've been or how good I could be, God. But it's actually about how much you love me, God. And so I pray for every single person, God, this morning. I was like, yeah, that's me, God. I need to do that, God. I want your salvation, God. I want to know that, God. I believe that. And I want that to move me, God. I want that to change who I am, how I live, God. I pray this morning that we thank you for that, God, for people declaring that, God, saying I believe. And God, we pray this morning for every single person, God, that that, yeah, that understanding, God, of what your salvation really is would go into our hearts, God. Not as people who put their hands up, but all of us, God, that we would understand how much you love us, God, that we're involved in the most crazy love story ever, God, that we would let that love story into our hearts, God, we would let that change us, God, that we would be different, God, the more and more we understand that, God, the more and more we see your love, God, we understand how much you love us, God, that we would be changed by that, God. So we thank you, God, we thank you, God, that you're Yeah, this is a story, God, completely drenched in your love, God. It's a story purely about how much you love us, God, about you coming to buy us back. And we thank you for that this morning, God. And yeah, we praise you, God. Amen.